this is Stenna. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Identity in Me, or In Me for short. My guest for this episode is Melanie Axman, whose ethnic origin isn't known to many. She's with me today to talk about her background and experiences that still resonate with her many years later, including her dating past. Hey, Mel, how's it going? It is going very well, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. And uh, it's been a while. It's been a few years since we've interacted. It feels like everybody I'm interviewing I haven't seen in a long time. Adulthood is something else. Uh You know, you start working, you have a family, and all of a sudden you don't see people you care about for a long time. It's true. Unfortunately. But we're changing that right now. We're taking steps towards changing that. Uh, So what have you been up to in the last few years since uh, I last saw you in the last five years? Yeah, it's been it's been a minute. So quarantine pandemic aside, um, I think, you know, the the, that stretch of time, 35 to 40 is really pivotal. You change, you, you become several different versions of yourself. And I think growing in motherhood, growing, um, with work, growing on my spiritual journey, um, and growing into now what um, looks like the end chapter of my marriage. Mm. Um, so really, really living through those experiences and and beginning to understand myself more and more and more. Certainly, all of that being escalated by the past year, we've all I think been forced to really reckon and grow. Um, in enormous ways since the beginning of 2020. And you turned 40 during COVID, (laughs) during the height of COVID. How was that? I'm sorry I just outed you. Was I not supposed to tell the audience how old you are? You know what? I'm proud. You said 35 to 40. So, (laughs) you know, they were going to figure it out anyway as we spoke. Um, I earned these stripes. So I will say... Um, turning 40 in pandemic, when I realized that I was going to be on lockdown, I think surprisingly there came a giant sense of relief with that realization. Um, I have had major celebrations with friends, um, at 25, at 30, at 35. And so really feeling the weight of 40 creeping up on me and feeling like I needed to have a really fantastic story to share about some sort of 40th adventure. And the crux of it is I'm actually a huge introvert. And so. Hold on. Since when? Since forever. I hide it very well. (laughs) I I, I need to hear more about this. Yes. I'm a huge introvert. I love time by myself. I love time in the quiet. Um, You know, crowds exhaust me. Uh, you will never catch me at a Patriots game in Gillette Stadium unless you were paying me a lot of money to be there. Having the chance to be in my home and quiet and, and be love-bombed by people um, from my tribe who wanted to celebrate me, but celebrate me in a really quiet way, you know, whether it be text messages or emails or I did a Zoom call with my family my sister dropped off a cake. I mean, there was a lot of really lovely surprises, but I got to take them in in bite-sized pieces instead of getting hosed by all of this noise and energy and expectation. So I'm thinking, wow, 
Valen's 40, I'm 39. Sorry, I keep citing your age. And I'm thinking back to when we met in college. And I remember always looking at you thinking, she looked like Claire Huxtable. Uh, I'm sure you've gotten that before. <laughs> like Claire Huxtable clone for Halloween, you could have easily been Claire Huxtable. <laughs> Uh, which it's like, hold on, for Halloween, be Claire Huxtable. Um, but so I know in, in college, you know, I wondered, like, what is her background? Um, and or, or more inappropriately, what is she? You know, back right. in the day, it's like, what are you? Yep. As opposed to how do you identify? Right. And so, yeah, I was thinking Claire Huxtable back then and didn't know how to enter a conversation to say, hey, just out of curiosity, like, how do you identify? And so here we are many years later. Tell me, how do you identify racially and ethnically? Yeah, it's a loaded question for me. And uh, funny enough that you bring up Claire Huxtable because that was sort of my mom's nickname for me. You know, for other people's nickname for my mom growing up was she looked exactly like Claire Huxtable because back then it was the 80s. She had the shoulder pad. She had the hairspray. I mean, she, Fiona Figueredo was spot on Claire Huxtable. So um, for me, I think I have always grappled with being racially ambiguous, right? It's, it's been a thing for me my entire life where people come up to me and speak Spanish. Get okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you get that often? I could see that. All the time. And are they disappointed when you're like, no hablo espanol? No, because I can fake it enough. For them to be like, why is this Latina's Spanish so poor? <laughs> mm. And so I, you know, I've had questions about whether I'm Egyptian or Hawaiian or Puerto Rican or um, Filipina or the list goes on and on. I, I was thinking about a story today when I went to Greece with my family and one of the vendors was trying to get my attention and he goes, yo, Janet Jackson. Wow. Right? Way so, off. Not even close. Thank I you. mean, no insult to you. Thank I mean, Claire Huxtable is a compliment. Thank Not you, Claire. <laughs> wow. So, so in terms of my own identity, you know, I think first and, and foremost, I identify as American. I, I was born here. And I was born to a family that only spoke English. Yep. And a family that was incredibly westernized. And adopted a family that adopted American ideals very closely because it, it mirrored how they grew up. Um, I've since learned to elongate the story about my ethnicity. So the way I tell it is I say I'm from a Portuguese enclave in India called Goa, but both of my parents were second generation East African. My parents were born and raised in East Africa. Their parents were born and raised in East Africa. And so very far removed from India. Uh, can you um, help out my audience here? Because I know some folks are not geographically inclined. Um, so when you say East Africa, help them out. Like I can see it in my head. I don't want to assume that others know uh, what countries are in East Africa. Specifically so, Tanzania, Uganda. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Continue. So, I, you know, effectively that's how I identify, but I don't get the luxury of naming one country and having people feel satiated with the information I'm sharing and, and bob their heads and go, oh, good. Okay, I got you. I can put you in this box, right? Yeah. Because my story um, 
begs more detail. Got you. Okay. So it always necessitated a conversation when you tell somebody I am going. Absolutely. You know, Indians don't. Did you get corny jokes? I am going. Oh, I mean, did you just tell me one? No, I'm no, I'm just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> As I was saying that, I'm like, I wonder if anybody ever dropped uh, that. Always, like, right? And then it like necessitates an even longer conversation about my ethnicity. Indians will be very quick to tell you, oh, she's not Indian, she's going. Hmm. And Goans don't necessarily claim India, they claim Goa. So it's it's a very interesting dichotomy within within the country of not feeling a part of the country feeling very separate from the country and then you add in the fact that i was born and raised in america with really no going history or customs associated with our family so our family was east african and you have these like thrice removed claims of where my family comes from before this conversation, I had never heard of Goa. Um, I'm embarrassed to say that. Um, I like to think that I know my geography, but um, thank you. You learn something new every day. Okay, so growing up, you say you identify as American. Um, did your parents have uh, a little American flag, U.S. flag in the crib? Do you have a U.S. flag in the crib? Tell me more about that. You know, it's that's a great question. I've never been asked that question before and I've never thought about it. Being American was something that felt so inherent and so natural to me that I didn't see myself as separate from the rest of the country or the rest of the world. And so I didn't feel the need to necessarily claim it in the same way. I definitely don't have an American flag now simply because of what the flag represents to me and how I feel the direction of the country is going. And um, the past four years that we've really grappled with, I I feel like a lot of that um, dissonance was grounded in a false sense of patriotism, and not understanding that patriotism means taking a knee, it means peaceful protest, it means dissent against the government. Um, It's highly patriotic. And I felt like, Perhaps we weren't allowed to claim those lenses if we were going to consider ourselves patriots. And so the flag is certainly not something that I would get behind um, in terms of where we are with this country at present. But um, just growing up in the 80s, you know, it it wasn't something my family felt the need to claim. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have enough foresight or hindsight on the world at that time to understand its impact. So do you think it's generally weird when you drive by houses that have uh, the United States flag planted everywhere or like a big one on the house? Like, do you, does it make you uncomfortable? If you had asked me that question four or five years ago, I probably wouldn't have said yes. I think Trump's presidency certainly changed that for me. Yeah, yeah. Because to me, flags everywhere on a house uh, or a yard is a very loud claiming of territory and stake and land. And there is a sense 
of ownership over the country from someone who needs to speak so loudly with their symbols. Mm. And I can't get behind that. You know, it's interesting. I'm thinking about why I don't say that I'm American more often. It's not for lack of pride in being born here. Uh, Growing up, it's weird in my family. So my family is from Haiti. Uh, My parents immigrated here from Haiti in the 1970s. And um, they were able to accomplish a lot here in terms of being able to uh, find work, get a home, raise a family, have have good jobs. Um, it was worth the while for my parents to come here. And I think, and I don't think they would go back on that decision. But I know that uh, I explicitly heard on a regular basis, um, you're not American, you're Haitian. But then I'd have family visit from Haiti and kind of mock my accent and the fact that I, I didn't sound like them. And even my parents on occasion would mock my accent, so I didn't speak well enough. And I only went to Haiti once. And if you drop me off in the middle of St. Mark when my father was born in Haiti or Port-au-Prince when my mom was born, I wouldn't know up from down. But I was expected to identify as Haitian. Right. So for a long time, I, I'd say Haitian-American, but that doesn't show up on an application. Right. And so I'm wondering for you, when you apply for a job, when you were applying for school, did you have a chance to identify as going anywhere or going American or East African American anywhere? No, of course not. And you know, Hadley, it was only probably... Hold on, hold on. On the podcast, I'm Stena. I know. And then you also told me... (laughs) It's okay. I mean, you can... It happened two episodes ago. So continue. Continue. Just remember, going forward, I am Stena. Noted. Noted, sir. So, I would say up until, I don't know, 15 years ago, Indian subcontinent wasn't even a a checkbox that I could check. It was Asian. I had to pick Asian, and I didn't feel Asian. I didn't feel like I identified with Asia, per se. I oftentimes picked other and sometimes I wouldn't pick anything because fuck them. Thank you for swearing on the podcast. I welcome people using profanity. (laughs) No apology needed. How did you feel checking off other? I felt awful because there wasn't enough space for me to claim my full identity. And it also alienated me more than I already felt alienated by being ethnically ambiguous in America. Yeah. What were your experiences like in school? Mm. By the way, I'm recognizing that none of these questions were uh, sent to you in advance. (laughs) I went off script. (laughs) Yeah, you did. And you're doing a good job. Thank you. Quick on my feet. Um, I think they really span the gamut. I... I don't know that I necessarily considered myself different until the world felt intent on pointing it out. I remember going to a birthday party when I was young and having someone's aunt say, oh, there's a small ethnic child here. (laughs) What? Hold on, verbatim? 
verbatim. I mean, it was the eighties that people, I mean, we put our kids in the front seat of Pintos and did not buckle them in. Like it was no holds barred in the eighties. Oh, there's a small <laughs> ethnic child here. Who says that? Okay. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, I remember some girls at summer camp remarking on my skin color and my mother getting heated enough to drag me back into the director's office and sit with those kids and like, give them a solid lashing. I mean, she did not want my skin color to be a topic of discussion. Some of that came from her own upbringing and the fact that Goans have a very strong caste system. Indians have a very strong caste system that's color-based. Um, I remember walking into CVS in sixth grade and looking for makeup, right? This is when girls start trying on makeup and trying to find tones that fit and never finding anything that looked like me. Mm. Couldn't figure out how to match. I remember going to softball practice and having the white girls on my team get annoyed with me because my legs were so tan and they were jealous. And they were asking me if I had stockings on because they couldn't, they could not reconcile that even though I had a brown face, I would have brown legs to match. I mean, small instances like this throughout my life that um, consistently othered me. Yeah, yeah. Go when, back to the box. When everything else in my upbringing had reaffirmed that I was right where I belonged, yep. I think a really pivotal in it, instance for me had been at Clark where we were offered um, a historical look at Jesuit art in Goa. It was a class I could take. And not only had the professor been to Goa, he had actually had conversations with and interviewed some of my relatives. Oh, and so that was a really defining moment for me where my culture was important enough to not only be talked about in a college classroom, but in my college classroom. And I could see people on a screen for the first time that looked like me and represented my heritage and have a white man speak to me knowledgeably about my culture because he had purposefully studied it. So given that you didn't see much of yourself in the books and others and in general, would you say that you ever developed a complex about around your ethnic identity? I don't think I've developed a complex around it because it's. And not currently I'm talking about back in the day. Did you ever feel like, damn, I wish I could just be like one of these white girls running around playing soccer so that I don't have to answer these stupid ass questions. Um, like, did you ever feel a sense of like, I wish I was like everybody around me? I think that there were seasons of that feeling that came and went. I think in retrospect, a lot of that had to do with how strict my parents were. There, there were multiple identities that I was battling through, right? One was this go an American teenager. One was the fact that my family was Catholic and my mom was very strict Catholic. So I was like going to mass every week. I was going to confession every two weeks. Like there was no joking around about that. Wow. Hold on. Confession every two weeks. That's intense. It was my mom's intense. 
and a lot of it also had to do with, um, I think being a woman and the idea of shame and, you know, making sure that you're respecting your family's values and you're not out with boys too late. And so there was multiple, multiple layers to this identity. And certainly I wanted to be like the American families I saw around me who there seemed to be such ease between parents and children. There's a, there's this funny, funny comedian, Russell Peters, Do you know, Russell Peters. I do not. He is um, an Indian American comedian and he has the shtick where he talks about how his friend is allowed to uh, talk shit to his parents. He's calling his parents. <laughs> I think I heard this. Yeah, all yeah. these swear words, and he threatens to call like DSS on his parents. <laughs> and then Russell tries that same that yeah. same ploy with his own father, and his father's like, "Somebody's gonna get a hurt real bad, yeah. right?" And it's and it's that's I wanted the ease of just being able to be my full rebellious teenage self and mirror the culture that I saw around me. Yeah, let me tell you something about that. You know, growing up on the shows that we used to watch, all those sitcoms in the 80s, The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Growing Pains, name it. These kids would get mad at their parents and stomp off and slam doors and like, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) On what planet does this happen? Like, I could never stomp away from my parents and slam a door. What? Like, my father would- furthermore, not have your parents walking after you come in to apologize that you were feeling so bad. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) what does this happen? Like, I had it in me to like try it out one time, but I'm like, nah, this isn't gonna go well. (laughs) Oh man. All right, so you mentioned boys in there. And so I'm wondering, because like I said, in college, when I saw you, I'm like, yo, she looked like Claire Huxtable. Um, never told you this before. I'm like, yo, she's bad. Like, I never like outright hit on you, but it was just like, yo, she looked. And then, you know, we developed a friendship and it's like, all right, you know, there was the initial attraction and then you had a boyfriend. And so I like kind of put that to bed. Um, but I'm sure you've had to deal with that your whole life. Um, but um, so I'm wondering your dating history. Um, have I'm going to guess venture to guess based on where you grew up you didn't have a chance to date many going uh identifying men talk to me about your dating history uh and how you experienced your identity in those situations yeah that's a good question um i began dating very young it's interesting it's, it's interesting to watch my daughter sort of go through the motions And, you know, come home and tell me about boys she's kissing at seven years old. And I can't even be mad because that's my kid right there. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even ask the question, where is she getting this from? Because she straight up got it from her mama and it's all genetic. I mean, I'm not modeling any of that behavior for her. She just is, is very interested in boys very young. And so, you know, I, my first boyfriend was, um, the sweet, little Asian boy named Kenny Wu and he broke my heart and his family moved to France. And that was, um, I don't know, first grade. Yeah. Reza Breakstone. Oh, thank you. I'm still working through it. Who asked who out? Did Kenny ask you out or did oh, you ask him? Me hundred percent. Kenny was not interested in ladies. I was oh. interested in Kenny. Okay. Um, did you do the checkbox? Cause I remember the first girl I asked out second grade, Shavana Hughes. 
I, like, do you want to be my girlfriend? Yes, no box. And I was shocked that she said yes. Well, there you yeah. go. Okay, all right. Congratulations. Continue. I see you still gloating off that victory. So. Oh, yeah, that was that was great. I don't know how long we dated for either. And I don't even know if I liked her that much, but I just had this compulsion to just ask her to be my girlfriend. Yes, no box. Yep. Sorry, so Kenny will move. Continue. Reza breaks. Don't. Reza, if you're listening, how are you? Reza and I are still friends to this day. Reza was my second boyfriend. We were eight years old, and Reza's family's from Iran. So that was an interesting experience just right off the bat, seeing my face mirrored against somebody else's. And, you know, Iranian culture and Indian culture are very, very different. Um, but that was sort of the closest thing I had come to and, and come to to this day of dating someone of my race. Hold on. I am shocked that you're like literally going to take me from first grade all the way up. Like you remember <laughs> first and last names. No, those are just the only two you, I wanted to reference. You are honoring these relationships <laughs> like they are on the resume. Okay. All right. Hey, cool. Respect. Respect. Um, all right. So let's uh, start with... Uh, College, go to college. And if you would I will rather say, move past I college, have dated, I have dated black men and white men predominantly. And suffice it to say, have not necessarily found um, a home, as it were, with either as it pertains to my race and identity. Because my experience as a going American is so singular and so isolating that I cannot find cohorts of people who look like me in general. I can't walk into a store and see people that look like me. I can't look at a magazine and see people who look like me. And it wasn't until, you know, really um, Padma Lakshmi and Mindy Kaling and, and all of these sort of uh, the rise of Indian Americans on television, which is, which is very, very recent, that I could turn on a television and see someone who looked like me. And even still, we, we exist in very separate uh, Indian culture um, because, again, Goa is very different than someone who identifies as Hindu or Sikh. Yeah. Being Goan is different. So all that to say, yeah, I've dated both black men and white men. I married a white man. I think I just simply understood that my racial and ethnic identity would need to be something that I educated on or something that I experienced in a very solo way i've had those experiences um i won't identify the woman's ethnic background because people would automatically know that um are familiar with me and it's not my current uh, partner it's not okay so a woman says to me and i was like really into her she was not a black woman and um, she wasn't white um, and I'm going to end up saying too much, but so, um, she goes, so tell me something. Are black people really as loud as they are on TV? I'm like, like, damn it. Did you really just ask me that? Like, did you, did, it's like, I'm not trying to be racist. I, I just want to know, like, is your family loud? I'm like, damn, you had a chance to, to get out and you're asking me this. <laughs> This question, wow, okay, I got to answer this. I got to entertain this. Um, and yeah, like, so I had other moments where I definitely felt like, I, I, and I don't want to be too explicit with another story, but, you know, there's the myth about Black men and I've had all sorts of like innuendos and questions around 
my endowment. And I'm like, wow, like I'm totally being fetishized right now. All right. So have you as a woman experienced this sort of fetishization? Share. Interestingly enough, I have to say, I don't think it was easier either way. Because again, hearkening back to my ethnic ambiguity, you know, neither black nor white men could put me in a box and be like, I know you're tight. You like to X, Y, and Z, right? Because no one's ever heard of Goa. So what are they going to say about, you know, about um, any sort of stereotypes that I would fit into, right? I think dating is hard in general. And I think dating for me, certainly as um, someone who's, who's fairly new to back to the dating world after divorce and someone who is learning to navigate race in a very new way since the murder of George Floyd and in Trump's America, that has certainly changed my perspective on the type of mate that I can welcome in and the type of understanding and lens that my partner has to have on race in America. Can you elaborate on that? Like what perspective, what are you looking to hear from somebody? You mentioned at the beginning of the episode that um, you're um, finalizing a divorce and so you're dating now. So when you're on the apps and whatnot, or you go on a date, what are you looking to hear from folks? Sure. I think before we were really forced to grapple with the state of race in America. I was a lot more flexible in my beliefs about race and politics with the understanding that I married a white man from the South who's incredibly liberal and was willing to learn and was totally open to being educated about what he didn't know. And after George Floyd's murder, I began to grapple with my own issues of race and identity and my own stance as a person of color and my own incidents of racism throughout my life and my career and really understood that I could not be with a man who did not understand that we were in a racial crisis and have been for a very, very long time to such an extent that I put in my dating profile um, that you know, potential matches could not have voted for Trump and needed to believe that black Mm. lives matter. And Mm. that period for me. And it wasn't even going to have to be a topic of discussion because we were beginning our conversation on the same page. Let's go. Don't you wish you had some stats to see how many people swiped left uh, when they saw that? Or no, is it swipe right? Like if they're not interested, which one is it? Well, I don't mind because in the first like, week I had like 30 matches so I'm straight all right you still got the fastball (laughs) Melanie still has the fastball um I'm sure nobody's like man you know I had to swipe right because you look like Claire Huxtable (laughs) would that be a good entry I don't know I feel like now you're thinking about my mama Melanie, thank you so much for joining me. And we have talked about bringing you back on um, to talk about some other aspects of your identity that are more salient these days. And I look forward to that conversation. Thank you so much. This was great. What are you? Where are you from? What does it mean to be American? Melanie provided lots of food for thought here. 
While you ponder these questions, find a map and locate Goa. I dare you. As a matter of fact, if you aren't in the habit of examining maps, maybe it's time to start doing that. Until the next episode of Identity and Me, keep reflecting.